Before I begin my message this morning, everybody hear me okay? Okay, we're sorting out some sound issues, but I think, I think, fingers crossed, uh, we're getting to the bottom of it. My, uh, the mic that I'm using is brand new, uh, so when Brian made a comment about getting it all the glitches ironed out, there's one more factor that he's struggling with. You know what factor that is? The human factor. <laughs> the user. And if I would just throw a name out there, it would be Leonard. But... I try not to be too much of a problem for uh, the people around here, or for God, but I have my moments. And maybe you're here because you have your moments as well uh, with the people that you love and the environment that uh, you're, you're working in, perhaps, and even the God that you're trying to know a little bit better. So I'd like to just uh, take this moment and sanctify it with him and then get into his word. Would you bow with me? Father, we come here with expectation that the feet of faith that have led us into this building will not be um, leading us in vain, but rather it will lead us to the very face of God. We are thankful that you have shown us who you are in your word, and by your spirit this morning, we pray that we could see that in the most personal way possible. So help us, Father, as uh, we move from a faith that is struggling to a faith that we hope can be stronger. And we thank you, Lord, and we pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, one thing that I've shared in the past, and maybe you've heard it before, but every time I preach a sermon, it seems like God tries to predispose me to understand how that applies by leading me through a series of events that somehow had bearing on on the topic that I'd be preaching on. And perhaps that's what's normal for pastors. Uh, You have to not only understand it perhaps in your head, but you have to kind of go through it viscerally. So this week we're beginning a new series on the question, and that is, um, I believe in God, but there's a part of me that says, but I'm not sure about certain things. And one of those things may very well be, um, how can I know for sure? Uh, And it may be, how can I know for sure that he is alive? How can I know for sure, perhaps, if he is alive, that he cares? Maybe your question drills down a little bit farther. I believe in God, but... Sometimes I don't see him interact in my life. And you may be in that place where you're just having a good season and everything in between. Um, But if you're also like me, you have the seasons where you're wondering, God, where are you? And then you have other seasons where you're like, God, I feel like we're we're in a sweet spot together. And it drives me to the question, uh, and that is, in the events that are happening in my life, am I seeing God at work? And God having a sense of humor, I think, does answer that question. Mine began on Wednesday morning at 5.30 when I heard this scratching sound on the end of our bed. And it was one of our cats. And this cat decided a few months ago, that it was necessary for all the humans to wake up at 5.30, which is not our customary waking time. And we've had this battle that's been occurring between myself and the cat, myself and my wife who says, you need to get up and take care of the cat, and all the conflicts that it's creating within our household. And so Wednesday, I had a very gratifying experience. As the cat was scratching on the bedpost, I knew it was too early, and I decided in that moment that I'm just going to turn this thing around. I'm going to feel good in just about a minute regarding what I'm getting ready to do. I know it was a dark thought, but it wasn't so dark that anybody would be harmed. Strategy 
was I would go and I would respond to the cat's beckoning by picking the cat up, taking it over to our bedroom window, opening it up, and chucking him out. Very gently. And as I closed the window, I felt so good that maybe, just maybe, he's going to get the point. Well, next morning, kind of the same thing. He backed off a little bit, but he was still charging. But I'm thinking, man, if I do this three or four more times, I'm hoping my feel-good moment will translate into changed behavior. But a lot of us, when we have feel-good moments with God, it's just a feel-good moment. It doesn't lead to any change. And sometimes we struggle with the fact that God seemed close, but yet now he seems kind of far away. And sometimes in a relationship, when you're far away from someone that you care about, you, you kind of want to come closer, and you want them to come closer. And God's looking at us, and he's saying, I want us to be close, but I know there are things brewing in each of your hearts that keep that from happening as much as it needs to. So my cat saga, interestingly enough, I'm not the only audience in this, because I, I, would, I would just assume, based on what happened next, that God is definitely, <laughs> he's definitely real, and he's in the background. So uh, Friday morning I come in and I'm preparing my sermon and one of the books that I've sort of been reading just to try to get a sense of how to communicate better uh, was this book called Save the Cat. And it's, it's, it's entitled that because the assumption uh, of the book is that it's written for screenwriters. And they, and they said basically if you write a, a story that you're going to have play out on the screen, um, make sure that you create a sense of favor regarding the main character. That that main character can almost be a hero-like person. That they're endearing to you and you to them. That there's a sense that once you see them do something that says, oh, I like that person, then you know that you have them. And the writer said that stories that have that quality to them when they open up tend to do well in the box office. And stories that don't have that, that element, like Laura Croft 2, where it's just, we've got a cool, very rugged, tough female who's just tearing it up, but it was all about her being cool. For some reason, it didn't resonate. And he said, the problem was, there wasn't a cat saved at the beginning. Because in a lot of old movies, there would always be this guy or this gal who would come and rescue the cat from the tree or somewhere else. And formulaically, it just held up. And so he wrote this book called Save the Cat, describing how you, 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 you do something that's engaging to your audience in a way that endears them to the main characters. And I'm like, okay, I got it. It's all good. I get the point. And, and so I'm, I'm thinking about that aspect of it, not thinking about cats per se, because truth be told, I have a love-hate relationship with cats. I like them, but I don't like them. They're endearing, but they're also obnoxious. And... That pretty well summarizes, I think, my sentiment. <laughs> You're a man after my own heart. Good for you. So that evening, my wife and I go to Boardman. We run some errands, and then we come back. And it's been pouring down rain, just raining cats and dogs. And I get out of the vehicle, and I, I'm opening up, as I'm opening up the door, I hear this sound, a cat meowing. And I'm like... Oh, our cat's in distress. Oh, wait a minute. That's not our cat. That's a, that's a little cat. 
And he sounds like he's hurt and in a lot of pain. Then the pastor and me kicked in. So I'm like, where is this cat? And he was in the front of our yard underneath a hosta leaf. And I, I, I go and I, oh, I raise up the leaf and I look and I see this little 10, 12-week-old cat. Skin and bones. Big old eyes staring back at me, shivering from being all wet, and just meowing, wanting to come to me, but not sure, but really wanting to come to me. And I just picked him up. And I'm like, here we go. I don't know where this is going, but I've done this before, and I know how it ends. And I'm thinking at this point, we have two male cats who are very bad mousers, meaning that if they had to eat for themselves, fend for themselves to survive, they wouldn't be around. And we had a female cat who did an awesome job making sure chipmunks, any kind of varmints, just off the property. And I miss her a lot. So I had a moment where I'm like, if this is going to happen, maybe this is another girl. So my first thought wasn't so much the cat's well-being, but picked the cat up, turned it around, and I'm like, Another male cat. I'm like, ah, we may get stuck with three worthless male cats before we're all done. Took it inside. We dried it off. And, you know, here it is. Staring back at me as I'm taking a picture uh, in the next shot. Um, go ahead. Uh, anticipation. Uh, there's one more shot of the cat looking. Uh, maybe you showed, you've shown not that one. Okay, that'll work. All right. <laughs> Question. First of all, I know this is gratuitous, but I am desperate. Anyone need a cat? <laughs> it's an awesome cat. It's wonderful. I would keep it, but I've already got a couple. Well, as I'm looking at this cat, I'm thinking, isn't this ironic? I have this whole cat theme basically characterizing my life. And it couldn't be orchestrated by anybody but God. And God is that person who has, in very mysterious ways, created this universe, given us an image of himself in the form of his son, and the gospel stories do a wonderful job recording how he came and be, uh, engaged our world and became a part of our humanity. And as God has done those things, um, in a very real-world way, I think his goal was to help us answer the question. I believe in God, but... And maybe you're there. Perhaps you have been in a church in the past and you've been saying to yourself, it didn't go so well because I believe in God, but for some reason the people weren't representing the characteristics that I think God should embody but rather they were just like everybody else. But maybe you're here because you're giving it another try and you're looking for another face of God in the lives of the people that worship him like, uh, like hopefully we do here. And as God is at work in our world, sometimes we're questioning because if you've been following him for a while, maybe you've also had this feeling, yeah, I'm kind of in a desert right now. It's been... It's been a long time since I've seen things happen in my life that clearly had the imprint of God working and orchestrating things and helping me with things that are really challenging. Perhaps that's where you're at. And what I discovered in a story that's embedded in the middle of the Gospel of Mark 
is an encounter that Jesus had with an individual that on the surface seemed like it was just a way of describing another person who had a need and Jesus touched the life and made it whole. But I want to explore this story for just a minute. The backdrop is Jesus and his disciples are coming down off the mountain of transfiguration. And if you've ever read this story, you know it's a fantastic one. Jesus is up on the mountain and there is the, the, the biblical prophet Elijah and the great deliverer Moses. And in that encounter where those people who have died and gone on to be with the Lord re-emerge and in the midst of their conversation Jesus begins to glow and he's shining so brightly that if you look up on the mountain and you see the the brightness of what the Bible has come to call the transfiguration you're like wow something very dramatic and unusual just happened well as they're concluding that whole experience and coming back down. There are other disciples who are on the ground level having a debate with religious leaders and the conversation is centered around a young boy who for the course of his short earthly existence has not had the ability to just do basic things like uh, do the, 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 the Mediterranean version and play catch with his father or to go fishing with his father or to experience any of those things that a father longs to do with their son. Rather, this boy would morning and start convulsing. He would start foaming at the mouth. He would be forced into fire and into water, and the father is just beside himself with grief, seeing the son in torment, completely unable to do anything about it. And he had gone to probably the places that or go-to places that we would go to, the equivalent of the Cleveland Clinic and, and uh, the Mayo Clinic and perhaps uh, some exotic places that offer alternative medications and everything in between to no avail, to not have any relief for his son. And he's so desperate. And he's gone to the disciples of Jesus because he's heard that Jesus has the ability to do these things and so do his followers. And so in an act of desperation and just a little bit of trust that this could be the thing that I've been looking for for a long time, he walks towards the disciples and says, can the disciples of Jesus heal my son? And they tried and nothing happened. And this is where we pick up the story. And when they came to the disciples, Jesus and the other, the other disciples up on the mountain, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about? And as they responded, someone from the crowd chimed in loudly and said, Teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, Jesus did. A weird response. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately 
it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground, and he rolled about, and he was foaming at the mouth. And all of that occurred, and Jesus, meanwhile, asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And has often cast him into fire, into water, to destroy him. But, 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 Jesus, if you can do have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. What do you mean, if you can? All things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd, uh, come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, you, must, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And with that word of authority, after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, which isn't what we expected. So most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, And the very word that they used to describe Jesus later, he arose, the boy arose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples took him aside and they said, why why couldn't we cast him out? And he said to them, this kind here, and probably like so many other kinds, cannot be driven out except by prayer. Now in that story are a lot of things, and in the larger story of the Gospel of Mark, there's a few things that I I need to point out to you. And I think part of it is the same experience that those people were having are the same types of experiences that you and I have. There are desires welling up inside of us that say, I want to be close to God. I want to make the dots that connect my life and his life to converge in a closer manner. I want to not only connect them, but I want to have a connection with God in a way that is life-changing, that changes everything. And if you're like me, you have that desire to see that happen. But if you're also like me, you have your moments where you doubt, don't you? Where you think, yeah, God, you know, the other day, I just felt so strong in you. I felt like, Man, life is just a wonderful convergence of you and the real world. Only to have, maybe a week later, a sense of impending doubt. Maybe even a little despair. And perhaps questioning, God, are you really there? Because I just, I don't feel it. I don't see it. I'm not recognizing it. I just want to hit the pause button on that thought for a second. And let you know that that's not unusual for believers. And it's a way I think that God uses the wonderful relationship that we have to grow us. To help us to trust him a little bit more. Now in my case a lot of times I feel that distance because I get distracted by other things. I know that there are uh, so many pathways to God that need to be walked down and yet I'm not walking down them. 500 years ago this year 
there was a declaration by a Protestant reformer named Martin Luther. And his primary concern in life at that season was, I can't seem to get close to God. And I've struggled and struggled. Then he just started reading the Bible, which was something most people didn't do at that point. And all of a sudden, things started to jump out at him. And he found that the conduit that he needed to he needed to, 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 to bring to bear on his life was nothing less than the very word of God itself. And it brought a freshness to his life that he didn't have before. And maybe, maybe the problem that you and I face sometimes is we're not spending much time there and trying to see his face through those words. And if that's the case, then maybe as we tell the story, uh, you'll see some things that I hadn't noticed in a long time, and some were actually new because I just decided I'm going to spend a good part of this week in the book of Mark and see what emerges. But you know what I found? I found out that the disciples of all people, they were having a nice little conversation with other religious leaders about theology, like what does God do, what doesn't God do, and there was a debate occurring. And what I also discovered was when Jesus, at the end of the storyline, had taken the disciples aside and when they asked him the question how come we couldn't do it Jesus said this kind comes out with prayer and if you read through the book of Mark you find that every time Jesus had a problem or a challenge he was going off to pray but you also find the disciples had a series of challenges that they confronted and you never once see them go off to pray they're trying to solve their problems without having that conversational connection with God. And it never occurred to me until I was looking at this that maybe Jesus was saying, the problem here isn't God. The problem here isn't the faith of the guy who's trying to get his, his kid healed. The problem here is you. And it was a sobering realization when I recognize that many times I think my connection with God is pretty powerless because, well, I'm doing it all except that one thing, prayer. And I think Mark intentionally wrote that into the gospel because I think his goal was for us to see that as good as you can be in your religious understanding of things, if you take prayer out of the equation, it's lifeless. And it's such a cliche thing to say Christians need to pray. And we talk about it a lot, but we don't do it enough. And so the second conduit for God is, I think, discovered in his word. And that is just the activity of getting on your knees before God and maybe just recognizing that he is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, spending a little time thinking about that, and then looking at the people around you that you are burdened by and just lifting them up and saying, God, please help them in what they're going through. And perhaps maybe you have little expectation that God can do something in your situation. And Jesus was seeing this all around that there were a lot of religious people with no expectation that God could do anything to change their lives. And what was his response? Oh, faithless generation. I mean, he's seeing what they're not doing 
And he recognizes the answer is so simple. It's the lack of the willingness to take a step towards God in faith. Now here's what else I discovered in Mark. The people that had taken a step towards Jesus to have a need in their life met. And the, one of them was, a, was a, a centurion who had a servant that needed a lot of help and Jesus chimed in. Another one was a, a gal who was hemorrhaging for many, many years and was looking most desperately for resolution. And another one was four people who had taken their friend who was paralyzed and cut a hole in the roof of a, of a house where Jesus was gathering and dropped him down into that setting trusting that Jesus could do something about it. And did you know in every one of those cases what that step meant was that as they drew close to God God would draw close to them. Now I'm not saying God's not close but relationally he may not be. And for Mark, as he's writing all of these things out, he's saying, do you, do you see the pattern here? There are people who are saying, Jesus can do it. They walk into his life and they ask for help and he responds. And then there are also people, and this is where we get into an interesting conversation, because have you ever been on TV at night and you see faith healers? And they'll go and they'll slam somebody in the forehead with their arm and then they'll, or fist or whatever, the palm of their, their, their hand, and then they'll drop down, and they'll be slain in the spirit. Have you ever seen that before? And a lot of us are like, I'm not sure what to make of that. It's not been my particular way of relating to the Lord. And then there are some faith healers who say, you did not get what you asked for from God because your faith was not strong enough. What do you think about that? Now, here's my thought. See if you agree. I believe that God's our father, right? And there are fathers in this room. And if a father truly loves their children, and their children say, hurting, and I'm crying out to you, and the father says, yeah, you're close, but your faith isn't quite there. Keep working on it, and pretty soon, you know what? We may have a deal. Now, if God is like that, that's disturbing. I think the issue more is us. Because in the case of, this, in the, case of the father, he's, he's conflicted. He's honest. He's saying, I believe, but I don't believe. You ever feel that way? I believe, but you know what? I'm not sure. I believe, but I've got my doubts. And Jesus said, we can work with that that when you're being honest about your where you're at and God's not offended by that at all and the centurion said I believe but you have to help me in my unbelief here's the other thing that Mark points out when people are weak and they're just coming with what little faith they have but they're coming taking a step and saying I'm just coming close to you Lord I don't know the formula I don't know the right protocol I don't know what I'm supposed to do all I know is I'm hurting and I, 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 I kind of believe that you can do something about it and Jesus doesn't say okay I have 10 criteria that you have 
satisfied before you actually will get the right response out of me. Jesus said, I, I, this is about a relationship. And he helps him. He gives the guy power to believe more. But the guy said, I, I need help. I need help with my unbelief. And maybe one of the things that we don't do is we don't take something basic that we have a need for and ask God to just help us with that. We may look for answers somewhere else and maybe it's a God answer that only God can provide. And what I think sometimes as we're looking at that question, how can I know for sure? Maybe the problem is I just want to have it all intellectually reconciled in my head rather than just begin to move perhaps into the word, perhaps into prayer, perhaps into a church like this and a body of people like this because I also believe the third is the third conduit that God uses is other people. Sometimes what we're looking for we find in the face of other people who are just trying to follow him and maybe speaking a timely word to you. And as God is saying, I have all of these things here, that when you are doubting and you are in the isolation of your life, cut off from all those other things, it's no surprise. Now I know there are other reasons why we doubt, but oftentimes it's centered on the fact that we just haven't put ourselves, we haven't taken the step to put ourselves in that place where we can draw close. The Bible literally says it in James. If you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And I believe God postures himself towards us like that. You know why? Because I don't think God is going to just force his way into your world or mine and say, I see you have a problem, I'm going to fix it for you whether you want me to fix it or not. I think God's the type of God that says, I'm here to help, but you've got to ask. If you don't ask, I can't help. Because I'm not going to barge into your world and say I'm taking over. That's not the kind of God I am. But if you come close, I'll come close. Cats. That's where we started with this thing, wasn't it? And I'm getting out of my car, and I hear this cat with a distress cry. And I'm thinking to myself a lot of thoughts. And one is... I don't want to complicate my life any more than I already have. But there's another part of me that irresistibly says, you need to go help. And I couldn't help myself. And it's like a love-hate thing with cats. But imagine God hearing your cry of distress. God can't help himself. He honestly can't. He wants to come a lot closer than we let him. But I believe what the bottom line is here is that the issue isn't with God. And the issue isn't with whether or not our faith is formulaically or postured in the way that we'll get the right answer. I honestly think the issue is pretty simple. It's just a desire to say, yeah, I'm hurting God. Yeah, I need your help, God. Yeah, I'm doubting right now, God. And I suspect 
that if you're honest with yourself and honest with him, he'll hear your cry and he will say, I am on it. He'll pull back that hosta leaf. He'll look at your world and he'll say, how are you doing down there? And you might say, I want to come close to you, God, but I can't. I want to come close to you, God, but I can't. And that's where God says, I know you can't. But I'll help you anyway. I don't know what you brought into this room. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's a need. Maybe God has just said, I brought you here so I can bring you closer. Maybe it's to be a part of his family. I don't know. Whatever it is, just be honest with yourself. And be honest with him. Because I know this cat was thinking about me. Can I trust you? Of course, when I gave him some food, it was all good. With God, all I can say is he's given us some really good food, and it is all really good. The question is, are you making that step to come close?